Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if we always, as a church, have lots of kids who are up here on a Sunday morning helping to lead us in worship? So Pastor Tom is on vacation, and Matt was uh, scheduled to speak this morning, but he's sick. And uh, so Juan David covered uh, his Cherrydale Explored class yesterday, and I'm up this morning. So we've dug deep into the bench. Uh, uh, so... <laughs> So I think we should pray. <laughs> Father God, we just come to you this morning and we just acknowledge that you're the one that speaks. This is your word that we read and you've spoken, you've inspired it. We pray that it would speak to our hearts as you desire. I pray that we would surrender things that stand between us and you this morning and that our hearts would be open to be led by your spirit in the direction that we need to go. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, on the screen, I'm going to have them put up a, a picture here of youth group in September 2020. We had gone the spring online completely, and during the summer, all of our gatherings were outside. In September, things opened up a little bit, but you can see that they're spaced out, and we have masks on, and we are simulcasting via Zoom to the middle school sitting the same way in the community room, and then th it is made available to all the kids who could not attend online. As we divided into our 12 different small groups, each small group leader was responsible to see if any of their kids were online and to pull them into the small group time via their phones or computers or whatever they had. COVID taught us a lot of things, didn't it? It made us rethink and, and step back. One of the areas that it made us to rethink and step back is I believe that for the longest time as Christians and churches, we've been saying and bemoaning the fact of the loss of, of family values in America, the, the breakdown of the American family. But I believe COVID, as we, as we were isolated to our homes, we were, as parents, perhaps caught off guard in uh, knowing how to disciple our kids, knowing how to build community in our homes. And we, we were off balance a little bit in realizing that the breakdown of the American family had extended into our own families. And not only that, but the church itself was potentially contributing to this factor by not having the kids with us in our services. So we began to rethink and, and change and, and develop who we are as a church, uh, thinking about us as a family. Well, the other area that we've found out through COVID is the breakdown of meaningful friendship. This has been going on for years. People are losing the art of how to make a friend, keep a friend, and, and patch it up when they mess it up. And, and the Bible is full of information about friendship. And during COVID, it exposed the fact that our two-bit online relationships were, weren't worth a micro bit when it came to the place where we needed people. Uh, we needed people, and we were alone. And online media, which we thought was doing it for us before, suddenly left us feeling empty. And so this morning, our passage helps us to think through how can we, as believers and as a church, improve on our ability to walk uh, pressing upward and thinking more deeply about pressing upward together. As our students experience the trauma 
and adults experience drama. We, we were left in a place where our students were desperate. And we decided to start in September with the book of Philippians. And our topic was press upward together because these were two critical topics that we needed to focus on. That during these times, we need to press up and we need to reaffirm how to do that together. This continues to be a theme in youth group and it's also a theme for adults, I believe. So that leaves us with the topic of our sermon, press upward together, the same as we did in the youth group. And we are looking for God to speak to us this morning to help us to understand four different areas. One, how to press on, how to press up, how to finish together, and to stand firm with joy. If you don't have your Bibles open yet, open to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. And we'll begin with how to press on. The first phrase says, not that I have already obtained all this. So right away, we know that this is an ongoing letter. It's communicating out of things that were stated before. So what is all this? Well, verse 10 and 11 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in the sufferings becoming like him in his death. So when he says, not that I've already obtained all of this, he's saying the, the full faith and knowledge of what it means to follow Christ in detail with my whole life. This is Paul speaking. He's still growing, and, and he's still saying, I'm, I'm pressing toward that mark in, the, in these verses. So how do we press on? First, we need to consider the context. Next, we need to think about how Paul continually uses the phrase race or the word race as he describes his Christian journey. As he spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I have fought the good fight, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and, and I've kept the faith. This is toward the end of his life. Over in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is the angelic beings, our, our dead family and relatives are not ghosting us, looking down on us, because heaven is a place of no more tears and no more sorrow. And I think my grandfather would look at a few things I've done and have tears, right? Uh, and wouldn't they all? So this is angelic hosts that are, are rooting us on in heaven. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings to so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we go through this passage today, Paul has used the idea that we're in a race as, as believers and we're pressing toward the mark of the high calling. So as we go through this, we're going to use this race analogy for every verse, starting with 12a, where it says, where if I go on reading, it says, uh, not that I have already obtained all this or been made already perfect, but press on to make it my own. So the first point is consider 
the status of your race. So Paul describes this as a race, and he says, not that I've already obtained this. So he's, the first question is, is are you in the race to start with? And that means you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You've asked for forgiveness of sin, and he is a part of your life, and you're pressing to his calling in your life. So first of all, are you in the race? Secondly, do you understand that it is a work in progress like Paul is describing? Third, uh, are you pressing, or are you standing there looking at yourself? phone uh, or thinking you're multitasking by whatever the metaphor distraction of cell phone is. And, and we got these distractions going on in our life and we think we're pressing, but we're multitasking instead of focusing in on, on the Lord and what he's calling us, to, how to work, how to raise our children, how to drive, how to do everything. God is calling us uh, to press and run this race with him in mind. 12b brings out a really cool point. It says, I press, this is the second half of the verse, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I said, we need to, in the race, assess your why and because. If you've ever done any running, at some point you're like, why am I doing this? And, uh, and then you're like, and then you're like, what is my motivation? Oh, because it's good for me. Or I like the endorphins that it gives me. Or people will think I'm cool if I win. And, and we, don't we want to be loved and, and admired for what we do, right? But God is calling us to a different type of race where our focus is fighting the good fight. And that pressing means uh, pressing toward the mark of the high calling. Why? Because Jesus has made me his own. That is the most powerful motivation. There is no other motivation above that as believers in Christ. Because Jesus has made me his own, then I can walk in darkness and see light at the same time. It was interesting that during this time uh, uh, of our Philippian series that we were right in this passage when I was gone and Rue uh, taught this uh, passage to the youth group. And uh, we in this, I uh, went back to look at her slides and she has a slide of her and Jonathan uh, in flannel shirts holding up the little flannel dress, announcing that they had been matched with Riley and that they would be going to India, India hopefully uh, in the spring or summer to bring Riley home. After uh, we, we uh, looked at this, we were like, okay, so that means the spring of 2021, the summer of 2021, we're going to see Riley, but it didn't work out like that. Because of COVID and all of the, the process, we didn't get to see Riley home until March this year. And that was hard. And little did Rue know when she did this message, her next slide says, God can use us, uh, use us out of hard situations. Little did she know that she was going to be facing a harder situation and Jonathan would be facing and that we would all be facing. He doesn't bring us in as strangers, but as sons and daughters. He adopts us when he makes us his own. We are children of God. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be his children. The most powerful motivation for choosing to live the way God has called us to live. And then the next slide, she says, how to hold course during a storm, the storms of life. 
Remember that despite everything we have done and been through, God has made us his own. This brings us to verse 13, which says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You might be saying, well, weren't you just focused on what lies behind? <laughs> well, yeah, we have looking back problems when we're running the race. And we often trip and fall on, on our face because we're looking back. But the looking back that this is talking about is, is not looking back at what God has done. This is uh, an ownership issue. Not that I have already made it my own. Christ has made me, my, uh, made me his own, and I am still in process of owning this. So when we look back and we're looking at our ownership failures, that's not where God wants us to be. That opens the door for Satan to come in and say, you're no good. You can't do this. Look at you compared to everybody else. You, you just might as well quit on following Christ. But that is looking back to a place that God is not calling us to look back. We look back and see Christ making us his own, making us own in the most difficult times, in the dark times, and then that motivates us continually as we look forward and not being able to see what's, what's ahead. But based on what God has done in the past, I trust him and I trust him fully with all my heart. So this takes us to the idea of pressing on. But what about pressing upward? Let's look at the next verse. How to press up verse 14. Verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So when we are pressing on, what pressing on looks like in a race is pressing up. They're synonymous. They go together. If you are wondering where you are and you're struggling and, and it, the race is hard and, and you're wondering why am I running through this, these puddles or these potholes, uh, look to Christ. Don't stay focused on the, the hard things, but look up as you press on and know where the finish line is, the upward call in Christ Jesus. The upward call in Christ Jesus may seem kind of disconnected from everyday life. It seems kind of uh, ethereal, uh, something that I, I, I have a hard time getting a hold of. But because what, it, what happens is, is when we come to church and we come to a class, we're all just wanting to know what to do next. I, I, I got this at work. I got this with my kids. What do I do next? The problem with one step in front of the other focus is you lose sight of what you're, what you're supposed to be doing while you're doing that one step in front of the other. God is calling us to uh, look beyond that, those simple everyday steps and see them from his perspective. We want to acknowledge that we're in those situations and we're feeling confused when we're feeling down that it is a possibility that our sights have been set on the wrong thing they're set on things that leave us empty when things are dark that leave us feeling confused when i need to know truth evaluate where you are and when you're in step-by-step -step mode, perhaps that's a tacit admission that you're not pressing toward the mark of the high calling, that you're not seeing the finish line. 
in, in that you're consumed with the present without seeing God's work in, in the present in and through you and what his ultimate goal for your life is. Verse 15, trust God to help you grow in your ability to see the finish line in the first place. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also, or also to you. So when you're kind of stuck, go to God in prayer. Say, God, I can't see I don't know where the future is. I don't know exactly where depressed you are. I'm not even seeing you right now. And that's when we're enduring and we're, and we're potentially suffering. And we fix our eyes on Christ and say, God, help me. Help me to see clearly. There's fog and I can't see where I'm going. Show me the finish line and show me what's most important. Show me to press on. Show me to look up. Because I got nothing right now. Have you ever been there? And so we need to trust God and help him to help us to see the finish line. And in verse 16, we need to hold true to what God has taught you so far. You may not know, but maybe you do. And as you think of what God has taught you so far, only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Then the Holy Spirit can use that to bring it to bear on the situation that we're in. So we move forward, we strain forward, and we hold true. We go back and review what we know. Because what we know is the, the, the well from which the Holy Spirit draws to help us through those situations. And then, of course, learning more. So how to press up. Uh, there we have it. This is the press upward part. The next section is the pressing upward together part. I remember uh, when in 1977, I was 10 years old, and there was a British band called 10CC. And they did this song called The Things We Do For Love. Yeah, anybody remember it? Walking in the wind and the rain. Yeah, and, and it was a astute observation of how the human condition is desperate for love and the desperation and the extent that we would go to to experience that, and particularly with the song Romantic Love. But in, in the end, we were all desperate for love. So as we move forward, we need to understand that the place we find love, it should be with people who, where Christ is defining love. Find love where it is defined by Christ's love. And so verse 17, run together. Brothers, join me, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is the first to say, it's not about us. And Paul is the first to say, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm going to model this for you so that you can model it for your children, so that you can model it for your grandchildren, so you can model it for your classmates. Uh, and so we press upward, and it's hard to do alone. So what we do is we find other people who are following Christ and whose love is constantly in process of being defined by Christ's love, and then we do it together. 
Next, verse 18 and 19 run in the right direction. So it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is their shame. With minds set on earthly things. There will always be people who choose to run away from God instead of toward God. And the problem is, is that when we are desperate for love from the people around us, we'll end up chasing after them. Love me, love me, love me. And the, and the finish line is that way, and we're going that way, or we're going that way. Because we're desperate for love in the wrong places. We are finding our identity in people who are not pressing for the call of Christ. And we'll do it as churches too. An entire church can say, love us, love us. We'll change. We'll do whatever it takes to make you love us. But God has already done whatever it takes for love to be defined and for love to be real in a lasting, powerful way. We don't need to redefine it. It's right here. This, this is not a self-help book. These are not just uh, fancy words to help you out. This is the inspiration of the word of God that lasts for all people in all time. This is where we stand. This is how we define love. And we need to do it together because so often we forget, don't we? And we need somebody by our side when we're on the rough path, when we are tired and don't think we have anybody. We need people around us to say, hold true. Stay the course. Press on. I'll do it with you. Let's do this. So surround yourself as you run. And then what's really cool is make sure you're not that person who's going the wrong direction and taking people that way too. Uh, sorry, uh, moving on, verse 20. Uh, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Know who's waiting at the finish line. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised its shame, so that when we stand in front of God someday, before the, his judgment, he doesn't see the sins that give us no right to stand in his presence. He sees the sacrifice that was paid on our behalf and our reception of that sacrifice by asking God to forgive us and saying, not, not me. The only thing that I do is to say thank you. It's all Jesus, and Jesus is waiting there. That's why we have to, in the step-by-step -step moments when we're distracted, that's why we have to say, am I focused on the wrong thing? Or am I focused on the author of perfecter of my faith who will meet me at the finish line? And then verse 21, it says this. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject, subject all things to himself? You know, there's one selfish ambition that is a good one, and that is this, to look forward to what we win. To look forward when we stand in heaven and we are freed from the law of sin and death. To look forward when the, there are no more tears, no more sorrow, 
when this body of brokenness is gone and we received a glorified body. Look forward to the finish line because we win. We all win and death is defeated. Sin is defeated. And we are in God's presence. And the irony of it is, is our finish line is the starting line of forever. Isn't that awesome? So no matter where you are in life, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult because we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people. And we will do the stupidest things sometime. That's not a preamble to all my stupidest things. Uh, you know, if you know me, I, that's not hard to go, <laughs> too far to go before you do get there. Hebrews 1 and 2 says there is a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on and a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is providing the way, who enables us to run, who gives us all purpose, all meaning, who takes us out of darkness and puts us into light. So now we have the sermon title, Press Upward Together. We have one more verse in 4.1, which is what our title of this entire series uh, comes from, and that is to stand firm with joy. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. How? Together. Together. Stand firm. We, we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are beloved. And we are because of what Jesus has done for us. If we try to stand together in all of our perfection, then we'll just fall apart. We will not accomplish much as a church. We will not be able to fix our eyes on, on the more important calling uh, that what it means to look forward means to help others to look forward. Our homes will be a wreck. Our church will be a wreck. And people will just be focusing in in the wrong direction. And those in need in our community, the helpless, the hurting, those who are experiencing sorrow will be left without people who can show how to press upward, who can model how to press upward in, perfect, in an imperfect way, to press upward in all of our frailty and lead, to lead with our imperfection, to say, I know exactly where, what this is to struggle in this area because I've been there before and maybe I'm there right now. Can we walk together and do this together? I could use somebody to do this with. God has called us together as beloved, as family. Let's do this, and let's do this together and experience joy as a family in Christ. This is what this passage is calling us to. As the worship team comes forward, I want to use the conclusion of the sermon as the song that we're going to sing. I want us to reflect deeply as we sing these words, yet not I, but Christ through me. Picture as we sing, us together, the bride of Christ clothed in white, pressing toward the mark of the high calling. Picture us limping. Picture us with wounds. Picture us in, in need of a Savior. And then most of all, 
picture that Jesus is running with us. This song begins with acknowledging all of the, the uh, things that we've described of what it means to be in Christ and how much Christ has done for us. But then it doesn't fail to recognize that life can be desperate, life can be difficult, life can go on, and you can hit walls that you didn't know were there. You can discover that you've been in the wrong place for a long time and you wish somebody would have told you. But God has called us to press upward together. God has called us that when the night is dark, I am not forsaken, for by his side, the Savior, we, he will stay. By my side, the Savior, he will stay. In our dark times, Jesus not only is at the finish line, but he is running with us. Stand with us and, and sing this song. Sing it as a prayer and as a family of God together with all your heart.